Hello, hello. Welcome back to Pastors in the Polemics. I'm Mason. And I'm Steva. And we are so excited to have you guys back. Welcome back, friends. So last week, Kiva, I wasn't able to be on the podcast. You weren't. But our good friend Emily joined me, and we had a blast. We had a blast. So uh, I'm not saying that you should be gone more often, because I would never wish that. But maybe we should invite Emily, you know, around, you know, every so often. I mean, I do love our resident literature expert. Don't you? (laughs) Don't you? Well, this week is a great week. Um, Only almost 20 years ago was our other favorite human born, which is the Mason Brazel. So this is Mason's birthday episode. Yeah, so as of recording or as of posting, yeah. it will have been I will I will be twenty years old in one day. I'm I'm pumped. I'm really pumped. I'm very excited because Kiva it, um Kiva was able to come up for my birthday this weekend. Yes. So it was just a it's a great time. And so Kiva has been so generous in letting me choose the topic this week. Y'all, I let him go, and that's a lot for it in Instagram one. It really is. Um, so I chose a very non-controversial topic, one that everybody can get get behind, everybody can appreciate. Um, what did you I choose? Chose, I chose saints. Oh, we're going there. Um, so I have a dirty confession as a good Protestant boy. <laughs> I love saints. Yes, you do. I love the Christian saints. Mason, tell us about how you got there, because I have so many questions. I have so many questions. So my my grandmother on my dad's side okay. is an ex-Catholic. Yes. She was raised in the Catholic Church. She was adopted through the Catholic Church. Okay. Um, in fact, she grew up for a long time believing that her mom was a nun because... Oh, wow. The only thing the only thing she knew about her birth mother was that her her birth mother had um had worked at a hospital that was at the time largely employed employed nuns. It was a Catholic hospital. Oh wow! And then like she, then later like she found out like oh it wasn't a nun it was somebody who was it was just a civilian who worked there. Okay. You know, but um or a lay person who worked there, but so. She she was really involved in the Catholic Church, and it wasn't until the 70s that she was excommunicated for getting a divorce from an abusive husband. Wow. And so, but, like, she is still very Catholic in the, in the sense of her practices and her beliefs. Okay. But, you know, there's a lot of church trauma there as well. Yes, yes. Um, but so, growing up, like, I remember every room in the house had a crucifix. But you didn't grow up a believer. No, I did not. But like that was just something that always stood out to me. Was that like That's interesting? Like the room I would sleep in, yes. there was a there was a crucifix right above my my head, and so like I would fall I I would fall asleep looking at the feet of Jesus, which was like really funny because I thought it was weird, oh, and now I'm wow. like and now I'm kind of like, huh, that was that's a really cool image. Wow, that's that's really neat. I love when we get to share these stories like this. But so my grandmother had a had a really big love for Catholic tradition. Okay. And so especially like once I became a believer, mm. um, I went through the whole the classic Catholics aren't Christian phase that most Protestants go through. Um, <laughs> which 
is kind of problematic and we can talk about that in another episode yeah but then like i kind of began to realize the beauties of the catholic faith and while mm-hmm. like i don't, and while i don't ascribe to it and there are certain things i disagree with um in catholic doctrine and catholic teaching right some of the intricacies of veneration and of keeping the history of our forebearers of mm-hmm. our spiritual ancestors mm-hmm. has really stuck with me mm-hmm. and so like getting to see the rich traditions that are associated with it has become like a really big interest of mine and really since I started coming to like really since I started um, attending our college yes so I I did not grow up with a very big appreciation for the saints um I and and it's it's just by nature of how I grew up. Like I did, I the most I understood about the Catholic Church was the Hail Marys and confessing your sins to the priest, and that was just about it. Until probably college, and I want to say before, a little bit before college. And the only reason why that changed is because of a hit television show, none other than Jane the Virgin. Um, and I know it sounds super cliche, but like that was probably like my entryway to be quite honest. It's just, it was my entryway to like start learning and asking questions culturally. And I just, it was, um, so learning about saints and learning about a lot of like traditions, like it didn't happen until I started watching that show. Um, which I think is kind of interesting, not trying to say that was an accurate representation, but that was just, that was my entryway. And so I didn't quite frankly learn about the saints until I was about a freshman in college. And still my interaction with them was very vague until other people had to like break them down for me. So Mason, we're talking about saints today, but can you explain to me what a saint is? Like explain to our listeners what a saint is, how it functions within the Catholic church, but how you see it functioning within your faith now because they're not the same yeah absolutely so i think the biggest thing to remember is that all religions have saints of some kind mm. um now whether or not we call them saints like that's up for debate but um all religions have spiritual ancestors mm. that they look to so like for instance um as an ethnic jew i kind of consider father abraham a saint of the jewish people Ah, just, okay. like, just like Moses is kind of a saint of the, of the Jewish people. Okay. Um, but Christian saints, and specifically Catholic saints, have a really unique story in that a lot of them are remembered for acts where, where God himself, or Christ himself, worked directly through them. Mm. So there are... There's a really specific way that you have to follow to become a saint. Right. So we have this tradition of they have to have performed some, some type of miracle or some type of great work in right. the name of God. Right. Um, and so that miracle can even extend to like beyond, beyond their life. So for instance, um, I want to say it's, is it Elijah or Elisha whose bones revives the man? Elisha is what I want to go with. I think I think it's Elisha. I can't remember. 
but so um, we'll say it's Elisha if we're wrong. Sorry. Sorry. But um, so like for instance, that action in and of itself would be would be the equivalent of a miracle uh, done by that person or oh. by God through through that person. Okay. So like it's not limited to just in life. So for instance, um, there's a really good example of how there uh the, one of the most recent saint, saints introduced in the early 2000s was a woman who this young boy said that he was magically healed whenever he had prayed to her and he saw her in a vision and he was healed and so like she and so she was so that healing was attributed to her or like to god through her interesting okay so say that again is it the healing goes to her or is it to god through her kind of both um okay because i think that's where and the reason why i want to clarify that i think that's where if you grew up super protestant um that's what you that's where your rub is yes right and i think i have that rub and i, I want to state that that like i have a struggle i have a struggle with being a saint like that but like proceed yeah so yes that is something that a lot of people struggle with and so i think the thing to remember is that yeah it's the saint's action that did it but it is always in the will of god mm, okay okay it's funny you say so that I, so i think that that is i think that is what's important is that it is empowered through, it is powered by the spirit okay empowered by the son or empowered by the father okay or empowered by just god in general okay um and there's a lot of other requirements that like i don't really understand the nuances of gotcha but so need to say it's really hard to become a saint right um but despite that the Christian church has been around for 2,000 years. Yeah. The Catholic church has been around for 1,600 years about. Because mm-hmm. it was established in about 400s yes. AD. Um, or the Catholic church believes it's been around for 2,000 years. So, like, no matter what, there's been, a lo- there's been a lot of time. So that has allowed for a lot of saints. Right. And so a lot of our saints come to us in the age of what we call the age of martyrdom. Yes. Or the age of persecution. Yes. And so this is... This is the really the first four centuries of the early church. Yeah. This is from the time of Christ's death until, and right before it with John the Baptist, to really until Constantine, yeah, Constantine. allowed, like, made Christianity the official religion of the, Rome, of the Roman Empire. And wow. really it continues a little bit after that because there's still pockets of right. persecution. And so it's really important to remember that these saints are people who were facing immense persecution and were often being tortured or like just beaten and awful things were being done to them mm-hmm. and they persevered in the name of the lord that's i just want to pause that's really encouraging you know i think that's really encouraging when we read hebrews 11 and we talk about the faith hall of fame that people like to call it often I think it's really neat that, like, there we see mention of our spiritual ancestors, right? We've got, we've got Abraham, you know, who's, you know, you know, quoted within the first couple of verses, you know, saying that, like, because of his faith, like, he was a friend of God. And I think it's encouraging that we have already in scripture folks who have had this faith and who have done these great things, and, like, we can look on to them. 
but they are not the only people who have done great things and had faith. You know, like, and had faith and, like, pursued it on. And I, to me, when I think of saints, I think of folks who have done things for the sake of Jesus in ways that I can look to as a sense of encouragement and as a sense of, like, oh, if they did it, I can keep going on. Like, if you you know, and not in like a, oh, I'm gonna pray to them or I'm gonna pray through them, but like sometimes you sometimes you need to pray the prayer of like God, give me the steadfastness of Abraham. Like make me a person, you know, like give me the trust that God like you have provided this person because you like you were able to see them through that. And I think for anyone who is like super new to understanding like saints and like seeing that encouragement, I would encourage you to read Hebrews 11 and not that these saints are the same. They're not because they're obviously like the ones out like, like laid out in scripture, but they are, I think it's a similar reference point for you to look at and go, man, okay. Cuba and Mason are saying, these are people who, when we look at their faith, we're really encouraged by and we're really inspired to keep doing what God's given us to do. That's That was my two cents. <laughs> yeah, so I think one of the things I'm going to touch on before we get into the saints we like yeah, is that a lot of people view Catholicism as praying to the saints. Yeah. And in a sense they do, but not really. Okay. So the way that I understand it and the way that my grandmother has described it to me. Okay is that we are praying to them, yes, but we are praying to them mm-hmm. so that it's it's the equivalent of asking a friend to pray for you. Uh, like, put in a good word for me. Yeah, it's okay. kind of. Okay. It's like, it's like, hey, can you also pray for this? Like, I know that my prayers are enough, but, like, can you also pray for me in this? Which is a very, it's just a very interesting thought. If you are Protestant, because this concept that the dead can pray for you is very odd. It is. To us. It is. And I don't... But I think we see we see instances of this in scripture where we have, like, where we have Jesus... I'm a, this is my heretic moment. Oh, God. Um, like, we see Jesus talk about the man who is cast, who is cast down, and he looks at... And he pleads for Father Abraham to, to save him. Oh, yes I about. and so like i think that it's not the same but i think we have a we we have a history in our faith tradition mm. we have a history in our faith tradition of looking to people in the past who were great examples and like like asking for like either asking for characteristics that they had or asking them themselves mm. you know the amount of times um throughout the psalms where scripture says and Sheol, right, will yes. cry out. I like I think about that often when we think about saints, because I think about like the repository of folks who had yet not met the Messiah. Like yes. I've, like the Messiah is still forecasted in the knowledge that they have. Like the Messiah is still on its way, right? I'm, right. I'm thinking of like faithful folks like Daniel right like those you know who are like 
we know the Messiah is on his is on his way, but we have yet not met the Messiah, right? Yeah. And Sheol is just this this big pit, <laughs> you know. Or in Scripture, it's just it's like it's it's like where the souls are in limbo. Dare I be a heretic there for a moment? You know, but that's the way that like that's the way that like the Israelites understood Sheol. Like it was just this repository where the body was not with the soul. Yeah, it's this it's this extra dimensional plane. Right. But so many of the Psalms say, and do not let me cry out from Sheol, or do not do not let Sheol cry out from me. And I think about like the poeticness of it, but I think it's also this idea that like there is some voice there. I'm not, I don't know what I want, what other words to put behind that, but there are some voice there that I think for me requires some more reading, some more setting before I like tip my toe out and say more. Um, <laughs> but I think that there's some credence there to be looked at. Um, yeah, of course. So before we go into our hair, before we go into our saints that we love, this may be scary for some of you. We understand. We're not saying that you too have to find a saint that you adore. We are just saying maybe look around for folks that you find encouragement from. The beautiful part, though, is about, you know, First Peter says that we are all part of the household and the priesthood of saints. Like we have all been made saints. Okay. So I hope you feel a little bit better today that you are a saint and your name is not a sinner. But also know that there are folks who have lived this walk, who have lived out this life through some harsh times. And I think we can gather some encouragement from them. So Mason, Absolutely. I would like you to present your first saint. But I feel like it is only fair that we have a little bit of the battle of the saints. I'm all for it. Meaning that, like, if you propose a saint, I would like to propose a saint to, like, counterbalance or, like, have a theological conversation or debate with you. Is that fair? I'm all for it. Okay, so how many do you, how many do you have before we start? I'm, okay, I am sitting on a good four. Okay. I'm sitting on a solid four right now. If I add in another mystic, I'll have five. Okay, so I have several off the top of my head that we okay. can talk about. Okay. Okay, um, because I kind of love saints. Um, <laughs> so we'll we'll save my two favorites for last. Okay. Okay, because um, so I kind of chose this topic um, because my freshman year of college, I took a class called Western Thought and Expression. <laughs> And in first semester, we had to write a paper yes. on some some significant cultural some significant cultural thing that's like whatever basically whatever we wanted um, pre Roman um, pre Roman fall yes pre Renaissance really yes. so yeah pre Renaissance so included Byzantium included all that or early Byzantium it's history's weird. You you could you could use early Byzantium. Yeah, history's weird, man. Um, and so I chose, I cheesed my I cheesed both of my essays, by the way. Um, 
my second essay, half my sources, my second essay, which was supposed to be post Renaissance, half of my sources were pre Renaissance. I don't know how I got got away with that, um, but I did. I did not. Our my English professor liked me. Mine did too. <laughs> but um, but no. So, I chose to write about how Catholic saints and the age of martyrdom were emblems of subversion to the to the roman pagan religion and so basically really fancy words of saying i wrote that the catholic saints mm -hmm. and the saint stories of the first four centuries were written not only to encourage believers not only as biographies of these people but also like the liter the literature and how the literature is presented is presented in a way that directly attacks an aspect of Roman religion. Oh, okay. And so I wrote my, so my thesis was about St. Sebastian and St. Agnes. Okay. Um, and so those are the two saints that I'll talk about at the end because I could go on about them for hours. I love them so much. Okay. Are you, are you implying a Moses Pharaoh action happening here? That like the plagues are intent, are directly in, pointed at Egyptian gods. I like, think so. Okay. In, in my interpretation, I think so. Okay. I see. So, uh, um, yeah, it's interesting. Okay. So, Mason, um, my two favorites are also at the end. And okay. I wrote about them, both in college. One of them I wrote a whole entire paper about, and may or may have not um got some flack about it even though i used primary sources to prove my point the entire way through yes um, i remember you telling me about this <laughs> and i i i sourced a lot of primary sources for that um <laughs> and the, the one that i'm talking about is good old martin luther who was actually so against the catholic church calling him a saint is probably the worst thing that i could do but I have a point to prove at the end of this, so it's all good. And then my other favorite, favorite saint is none other than Hildegard of Bingen. Um, just because she is, I don't know, a woman who does it all, but she's one of the first introductions of faith and health and church. Um, and she she makes some very interesting conclusions. And that's that's all I've got to say for right now. So Mason, who is your first saint up? On okay, so my first saint is Saint Erasmus of Formia. Not you did not go for Erasmus while I held Martin Luther down. Um, also known as Saint Elmo. Yes, I love Saint Elmo. So Saint Elmo was a Christian saint and martyr. Um, a lot of mine are martyrs, just so you know. Um, also, before we get too much into it, too much further into it, let's. I want to issue a content warning. Um, some of these stories are graphic in nature. Mm -hmm. They may involve actions of physical or sexual assault. And so I want to make you all completely aware of that. Like we're going to talk, we're talking about this in, with complete respect, but this is just, this is a part of Christian tradition. And I think that it's something that we should talk about. Okay. So, cause we're the co content warning. Probably should have put that in a little bit earlier, Right. but uh, you know, um, we'll put it in the show notes. We'll put it in the show notes. So St. Erasmus, or St. Elmo, died in 303 AD. Okay. So, and he died under the reign of Emperor Diocletian. Oh, my gosh. 
So he is the patron saint of sailors and abdominal pain. Oh, wow. And um, in Christian tradition, he is one of the 14 holy helpers. Oh, wow. So, Kiva, have you heard of the 14 holy helpers? This is actually, I feel like I've heard of them before, but remind me. So these are a group of 14 saints who the Catholic Church teaches that their intercession, so their yeah like their their interaction with us and god on our behalf okay is particularly effective so like That's... if you really it's like it, it's kind of like if you really need something done i know a guy and like these these are the, <laughs> these are the guys you know oh okay Interesting. okay Interesting. so very like very important saint in catholic history yes and in, and in christian history i think oh i didn't okay so Erasmus was the bishop of Formia, Italy. Yeah. Okay? And so during the the persecution under Diocletian and um, Maxi- Maxinian Hercules, I can say the name, I promise. Okay. He left the diocese and went to this mountain where he had hid- hidden for seven years. However, um, his story says that an angel came to him and said that he should return to the city. Epitome of so, white ivory tower moment. So on the way, he encounters some soldiers who question him. And he admits that he's a Christian. And so they brought him before, they brought him to trial at Antioch mm-hmm. uh, before the emperor. And he was tortured. He was bound in chains, thrown into prison. But an angel appeared and helped him escape. So he passes through. So he's kind of running from the law. He's on, he's, um, he's running from the man. Yeah. He passes through a town and like this really prominent citizen. He actually heal. He actually brings his son back to life. Yeah. Or God uses him to bring his son back to life. Oh, wow. Um, so he keeps going and eventually he, uh, they force him to go to the temple of this idol. Um, and so it's basically, they're forcing him to, t- to take refuge in a church okay. that is not his own. Mm. And that is of a, that is of a heretic God. So like, really they're trying, they're trying their best to undermine his faith. Uh. And so along the way that he passes all these idols and all the idols or worthless things are just broken. Like as they, as he passes them, they, they break, they fall down and they're destroyed. Um, and from the, and from the temple, um, this huge fire erupts and consumes a lot of the pagans. Oh, wow. So he's eventually captured, um, brought back to the emperor. He's beaten, he's whipped, and then he's coated with pitch which is this really flammable substance yes. and set a flame. And so basically he, just like how Nero would set Christians yep. flame, he like Diocletian does the same thing. Um, he still survives. Wait a minute now. He still survives. This is like, um, it, it's like a bad reality TV show. This is like Rasputin level ish. So they throw him into prison to make him die of starvation. They don't feed him anything like, and he escapes. So he has escaped the Roman Empire twice now. Oh my god. He has cheated death twice now. He's been tortured two times now. He gets recaptured by the Romans and is tortured for a third time. Oh my goodness. So then, after boldly preaching and converting a huge amount of pagans to the Christian to the Christian faith, um, we kind of get some different versions. Um, yes. The, the version that I'm going to read you 
Um, his abdomen was split open and his intestines wound, wound around a windlass. Okay. And so a windlass was this horizontal cylinder yep. that rotated and like basically it's it's like a crank. It's like yep. a chains. And so they kind of they kind of make a yarn spool of Elmo intestines. Oh. Oh my word. And so that's how he dies. Um and so that's that's also how he got his patron his patronage of sailors because that was an object used on ships. Oh and so God. they were like, "Oh, he should, he's the patron of sailors. But so I love the saint for a lot of reasons. But most particularly, it's because he is he is a really good example of everything going wrong and yes. still having faith. Like he's like he's like what what happened to Jonah but in reverse. Right. It's just about you know, like Jonah receives the call, and Jonah goes away from God. Right. Um, towards safety. Yes. And he is brought from safety to danger in the city of Nineveh. Right. But he turns out all right. Right. Elmo is almost the exact opposite. Saint right. Elmo goes from safety and is called to danger, and he follows. So he walks towards danger, mm. and he's delivered from danger, but he's recaptured. And he's delivered from danger, but he's recaptured. And he's, in upon his last recapturing, he's finally killed. But like that brings him to the ultimate safety, which is living with the Lord. Right. So I just think I just think it's a really really cool example of just Christian history and Christianity, kind of showing, hey, this is a, this is a guy we should be looking up to. And so one of the things that I love about it is that a lot of these early saint stories the saint becomes Christ. Mm. Um, like, and if we look at this as just literature, as no biography, as like, it's all made up. Um, if we look at it like that, then it's perfect allegory for Christ. Mm. Because like, you have somebody who willingly comes to preach and to save others mm. on the will of someone higher than them. Ah, I see. I see. They are beaten and tortured mm. by those they came to to convert. Right. Yeah, and then like they and then they survive death. Mm. They die. They should have died. They die, but they're somehow still alive. Mm. I see. So I think it's really interesting. I think something you didn't touch on was Erasmus wrote a bunch. Wow, he, he was on the run. And I liked reading Erasmus. He was a lot for some folks. But he was a he's a, he's he's not as hard of a read as I think some other or some of his contemporaries are. Um I'm tempted because I really want to use Martin right now because I feel like that's a contemporary of Erasmus. Um, and they were in conversation with each other at the time. <sighs> so I am. Um, <laughs> so my my dear saint, who's not a saint, who would be very opposed to be called a saint, is the dear the dearest Martin Luther. Um, Martin Luther is called the father of the Reformation movement. Um, 
at the time when he becomes the reformer, along with Zwingli and Calvin and um, I'm missing another one right now, but I'm just going to leave them the way that they are. He is one of the few who I feel like begins to empower people to read, to read. And I okay. Think, and what I say this by as a, as a person who's a teacher, I am here for empowering people to be able to come to their own conclusions when they are provided with information. At the time, um, Bibles weren't even widespread. The people who could read the Bibles were left to be like the priest and, you know, like, you know, the priest and the bishops um, in churches. And Martin, during the Reformation movement, after he nails his 95 theses to the front of the church, which I think is one of the most ultimate moves you could ever make is to nail all the problems that you have with the church and then provide a solution <laughs> and say like, Hey, this is what we're not going to do. Um, he does this really interesting thing that most people don't talk about. Martin starts making sure that everybody can read the origin of the book of common prayer happens because majority of the popu population is illiterate, which is something fascinating for people to think about. Imagine having to come up with a way to follow God when majority of your population is illiterate, and yet there is a text about God available. I, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I think that's a very interesting conundrum to be in. And Martin, okay. you know, and Martin goes, okay, here's, here's, we're going to simplify it. We're going to simplify it. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to stop um, making people pay um, penances to the Catholic church. So people were at the time, you know, paying to have their sins forgiven, which is a whole nother conversation. Um, indulgences. Those are the words. That was the word I was looking for. Um, and certain sacraments weren't always fully explained. Um, and so Martin kind of comes in and he's like, hey, folks, we're not going to do that anymore. Um, he's vehemently hated by the Catholic Church by this point. Because <laughs> he's called yep. the Catholic Church out on every everything. I mean, he's done nothing short of telling the bishop where he will be in eternity. And it is not heaven. And in some ways, I love a rebel. And I think that's why I have a fondness for him. But that doesn't mean that Martin is not unproblematic. And so I need to point that out, that not all of our saints are perfect. They're people. Um, yes. But Martin was problematic. He was quite anti-Semitic at some points, you know, throughout his theology. Um and supported the Crusades, you know, in some regard. And so I have to point that out. But I think a lot of his work with the point of the Gutenberg Press being, you know, happening around that time means that folks started being able to have the Bible in their hands and had the literacy to read the Bible. And I think that's just, for me, that's the teacher in me feels the need to give Martin his dead flowers. Um, 
for for teaching people that they they had the right to read the Bible and know God instead of being told how they were supposed to know God. And that is why I am a fan of Martin. Um, now, I would like to point off that Martin did run off and leave his wife because he wanted to study and he was, you know, kind of wild. But Martin Luther's wife was kind of wild, too. Uh, interestingly enough, did you know this, that they met in an abbey? Really? Yes. Interesting. Yes. And she wanted to be a preacher's wife. Like that was like one of her lifelong dreams. And so Martin was kind of like, I don't want to be with her. Like I I feel he pulled a Paul. He was like, it's just better to be single. Like I could do everything for the Lord. I'm not lying. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not lying. He pulled up. That's hilarious. He did. And it came upon that she said, I just I really, I really think it's better that like I get married and this, and then Martin was like, I guess I'll marry you. And that is how Martin Luther ended up married. So he's a, he's a wild, he's a wild person, but I think the inspiration that I've really received from him is to, is to put power back in the hands of the people. And that's, that is, that is my, that is one of my favorite saints. Now, Mason, yours is you're up next. So who's who are you putting on the table next? So my next saint is Saint Denis of Paris. <gasps> also, also a solid one. So Saint Denis of Paris was a third was a third century Christian martyr. Okay. Okay. So he died around two fifty A.D. Okay. Um, he's the patron saint of Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, hydrophobia possessed people oh. and the most ironic <laughs> headache headaches mm. um, and I say ironic because of his martyrdom mm. so Saint Dennis is a cephalophoric saint what does that mean so oh. he is what's called a cephalophore okay so one who holds their own head oh was he beheaded he was beheaded okay he was decapitated oh. under um, the Mishans, I think. No, that's a new one for me. So, yes. So he was the Bishop of Paris, okay. which was then called Lutetia okay. in the 3rd century. Um, I'm trying to think. He is often, he is often uh, depicted holding his own head. So, like... In Catholic art, in Catholic art, you see a man who like looks very good on all accounts. Yes. Um, like beautifully dressed, and where the head should be, there's just a nub where the neck is, and then he's just holding his head underneath his arms. Oh wow! So, he is the most famous cephalophore in Christian legend. Wow. Um, and the reason I love him so much is because of the story of what happened. What happened after his. Oh. Oh my. What, what happened? happened after his, his martyrdom? So let's talk about um, let's talk about how he's also one of the 14 holy helpers. So he's right up sure. there with St. Elmo. Okay, they're bros. Sure. They're they're big chilling. Okay. But so this is like he is probably one of the most metal saints I've ever heard of. Okay. Because after his head was decapitated, mm-hmm. he picked up his head and walked several miles 
while preaching a sermon of repentance. Now this now this is bizarre. I'm not gonna even lie. Um, he was buried by a local Christian woman in Paris. So he like walked back to Paris. Um, and like he died in Paris. He was buried by a local Christian woman. It was later uh, um, expanded into an abbey and then later a basilica, um, and which around which grew the French city of Saint-Denis, which yep. is now a suburb of Paris. Yeah. So he didn't make it quite to Paris, but he did the next best thing. And now there's an entire suburb that is dedicated to his name. That's, that's cool. Kind of metal, I'm not even going to lie. Okay. I raise you. St. Bernard of Clairvaux. Okay. Okay. Because I think this is where we take a turn. <laughs> this, is, this is where we take a turn. I'm listening. So, good old Bernard um, shows up, I'm going to say, right around 1090. Okay. Um, he's an abbot. He's going to be um, a Benedictine monk. Right. In the Cistercian Order. Okay. The dude is up there with like the monks of monks. Okay. But he has um what makes him a Saint Mason might pull you off your rocker this evening. Okay. I'm all for it. He is known for the lactation of the Virgin Mary. Okay, I'm into this. Let's go. So <laughs> So, he has reported that he was praying before the Virgin Mary, and that the Virgin Mary provided milk via breast into his eye. Yeah, okay, yes, I've heard of this. Yes. As a part of making him holy, is yes. essentially. All very bizarre. It's it's a weird reverse coal situation. It, 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 it's a, oh, it is it is a wild moment. But 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 it gets even better, y'all. It gets it gets even better because you would think one made holy by the Virgin Mary would not be involved in the things that Bernard eventually involves himself in. <laughs> when I say spicy monk, I mean spicy monk. Okay? My favorite kind. He gets involved in the great schism that will later happen, like one of the first schisms that will happen. Okay. Um, once again, says some very anti-Semitic things. Um, Kiva, let's unpack what the great schism is real quick for oh, our okay. readers who, or listeners who may not, who may not have heard that term before. Okay. Mason, this has been a while, so I'm going to give you what I have and you can put in, you can, you can put in the pieces. Okay. Pope of the North, Pope, I'm going to try, I'm trying to do it in elementary terms. Pope of the North, Pope of the South, okay? I'd say West and East, but I mean, you I was going to say West and East, but there you go. Pope of the West, Pope of the East. Don't recognize one another as being Pope. Yes. One excommunicates the other, big word of saying, one says you've been kicked out of not only the church, but you've been kicked out of heaven too. The other one returns... You've been kicked out of the church, and you've been kicked out of heaven, too. But interestingly, y'all, this is always attached to political power and land. 
remember these things, these two things, political power and land. Okay. Um, so it goes by the Kings, the Kings and the Queens. One, the West is holding on to a King and a Queen. And they're saying like, if we are in the church, then God is basically giving us the land and God has told us to go and conquer. And so we will. And the other King and Queen is saying the other thing. The problem is, is that because they have the great schism, meaning they both break, people are now split. And you now have to say which Pope that you recognize as being the holy and ordained Pope versus the one that you don't recognize as being the holy and ordained Pope. Interesting thing that also happens around this time, Mason, do you know it also starts around this time? Cartoons. Like, religious cartoons. Like, not that religious cartoons are, like, new, but, like, the way that people drew. Like, I'm just saying, like, the drawings that come out of these. Interesting. Some of the artwork around the Great Schism is quite funny. Because you can see who favored who and who was trying to, like, make fun of who. And this is, you know. So that's when we talk about the Great Schism is when I call it the two dueling popes. Um, who are trying to, like get rid of each other along with their kings and queens did i miss anything i know i didn't get into the specifics but no i think that's a great explanation i think the big takeaway is that the great schism still has effects today yes um and really so we kind of we kind of say western europe and eastern europe yes and we use that term and like it has a lot of it has a lot of really heavy meaning to it Mm -hmm. but also interesting enough the western europe tends to be roman catholic Mm -hmm. While Eastern Europe tends to be Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox, and so the Eastern Orthodox and the Roman Catholic Church split, and so right. it was the Western Catholic and the Eastern Catholic, and then those those morphed over time into the Roman Catholic and the Eastern Orthodox Church. So both of those churches, both of those denominations, come back to the Great Schism. Right, which is why we have two Easter's. Yes. That's a whole nother conversation for a whole nother day, but I just thought I'd point that out. So, but Bernardo Clairvaux is part of that. Yes. It gets spicier. Um, he then has it out with Peter of Abelard. He has it out with Peter of Abelard. <laughs> so when I tell you, he is not a quiet monk. He does no. not just go and sit somewhere. Um, you know, he says what he has to says. He became a doctor of the church but one of my favorite things about Clairvaux is his writing called On Loving God. If you ever get a chance to read On Loving God by um, Bernard of St. Clairvaux which we'll put in the show notes um, go read it. It will radically change your life. It changed mine. That was the first introduction that I had to him. Um, But he talks about friendship Mason in this way that I think is, is radical. He talks it about one of it being the highest love that we can have. He doesn't call marriage. He doesn't call children. He doesn't call any of that to be the highest love that we can have. He calls friendship and he cites Abraham being able to be friends with God and the relationship that they have and that love being mature love. That being like the strongest relationship that you can have. So revolutionary stuff, but there is a, there's... Okay, and what not, was that book called again? Called On Loving God. 
Okay. So now we're into favorite saint territory for me. Yes. Um, have I looked up buying amulets of both of these saints? Oh, Absolutely, God. I have. Yes. Have I yet? No. Will I in the future? Most likely. Um, I can, because I these, can't stop him. <laughs> these saints have a special place in my heart. They do. Um, the first one is Saint Sebastian. <laughs> so Saint Sebastian is honestly a baller. Okay. Okay, tell me about him. So. Early Christian saint, born around 250, 256 AD. Okay. Okay. So about 200, about 220 years after Christ is is crucified and, okay. and raised from the dead is when, is when Sebastian comes on the scene. Okay. Um, lives for about 30 years. Okay. Dies at about 30 years old, 33 years old. So like very much Christ imagery. Oh, like, I was just about he to makes say. It, he makes it to about 32, 33 years old. Oh. So very Christ-like imagery. Yeah. Um, under under our boy Diocletian. Um, so Diocletian has been mentioned a lot in mine, and that's because all of mine are from the age of martyrdom, like I said, which yes. is the first four centuries. But really, what's important is that there was really something called the Great Persecution yeah. in the age of martyrdom, and so Diocletian is the main person in the in the age of in the Great Persecution. Can I make a quick pause? A quick note Absolutely. There's a, there's a preaching point to be had right here. This is called great persecution, friends. This means that there is this intense, intentional roundup of Christians for the sake of their faith. That means we are tarring and feathering and drawn and quartering Christians because of that. This is not, there is an attack on values. This is not an attack on morality. This is an attack specifically on Christians. And what I think a I think a really good example yeah. of this in our own history yes. is this in the South with the Ku Klux Klan. Yes. Okay. Because like, in, um, in, like instances of racial violence was very common, like against slaves, right. against newly freed peoples up to the 1960s. Right. But then really during the civil rights era, we have this huge ramp up. Yeah. Right. And so like this entire time is an age of persecution. Right. But then the civil rights era is this time of great persecution. Right. Because there, because stuff is happening, it scares the people in power. Right. And so we really got to hammer this in. And this is why I'm trying to make this point here. We are not in the great persecution. No, absolutely not. I just need to, I, and I, I, before anybody goes, oh, that's us. It is not. It is not. Um, and, and maybe this is just me coming from my lived experience. No one is hunting you down. No one is. At least not, at least not in America. Not in America. At least not in America. No one's going door to door asking if you have a Bible or not. Um, it's not systemic. I, I will say, like, there may be individuals who are very anti-Christian, right. but it's not. It's not the. It's not our There's government. There's no system. Like, like, and there are there are governments that are greatly persecuting people right. for their religious faith of any kind. Right. And then, especially Christian. Right. So, like, I think that's something that we need to realize is that, like, we can find inspiration while also being like, hey, this isn't where we're at. But so, St. Sebastian. St. Sebastian is just a whole host of literary references. Okay. Okay. Um, so, St. Sebastian and St. Agnes, who is my next saint, okay. both experience a double death. Oh. Okay, just like St. Dennis did. Okay. Okay, and so, like, St. Dennis was also going to be a part of my paper originally, and then I trimmed it down to two saints. But, um... Trim and saint. So... 
all of these saints experienced a death, a, a miraculous resurrection or survival, and then a second death. Wow. That was, whether physically or figuratively. Yes. And so it's become they become these perfect images of Christ. Mm. Um, super cool, super cool. Like the entire point of hagiography or the worship of saints, the sto saint stories, right. martyrdom stories, um, hagiography aligns the saint with the Messiah on the mm -hmm. cross. Their instance of martyrdom is the equivalent of the instance of crucifixion. Wow. So like it has like it's very important in yeah. Catholic tradition because these are like these are people who are getting to share in the retribution of our sins. Yeah. Um, whether or not you believe that is a whole different thing, but like the literature and the the symbolism there is powerful. It is. So, Saint Sebastian is the patron saint of soldiers, the plague stricken, archers. Yeah. Disabled people. Wow. Um, athletes. Whole list. He's a very popular saint. Mm. Okay. Um, specifically, I want you to take note of he's a saint of plague. So he's a saint of like protection against plague. Ah. So in history, like the Black Death or these times of great disease, mm -hmm. Saint Sebastian in the Catholic Church was called on a lot more. And so we see like churches that were built around the time of great plague tend to have a lot more Sebastian imagery. Okay. Um, so his death story is really interesting. Okay. Mm. So he is a officer in the Roman military. Oh, wow. He is a high ranking officer. Sure. And his and he has a group of people who follow him, mm. and he tells them about the one who has sent him. He sure. tells them about the one he answers to, mm -hmm. who is not on this earth. Yes. Okay. So already we're seeing this Jesus story unfold. Yes, I see it. And then a member of his company, mm -hmm. one of his disciples, if you will, betrays him. Okay. And reports him to the authorities, oh, those in power. I, I, see I see it. And he is tied to a tree, mm. and he is shot full of arrows. Wow. Okay, and he survives. He survives, and Saint Irene is yeah. the one who heals him. In some traditions, it's Saint Irene. In other traditions, okay. it's a nameless woman. Um, and so he's healed back from the brink of death. So that is, that is his first death. He should have died. Then he... Once he gets healed up, he doesn't go to go to escape. He walks right up to Emperor Diocletian and says, "Hey, that wasn't very nice," and no. calls him out on his on and calls him out on his persecution of Christians. Not a Pontius Pilate moment. And he's beaten to death with clubs. Wow. Okay, so here's where the cool symbolism comes in. Okay. Okay. So remember how I talked about how my paper was about how the saint stories are kind of like punching the Roman religion in the face. Right. So, during the time of his martyrdom, yeah. Rome was experiencing a plague. Oh! The god of plague in Roman religion, plague was known as Apollo's arrows. Ah, I see where we're going. So, and Apollo, the god of archery and the god of plague, 
he is in control of the situation. Mm. And Sebastian stands in defiance of that. So Sebastian is shot by the instrument of Apollo. Sebastian is shot by arrows, but all the arrows miss. Now, like in Roman religion, Apollo, Apollo's aim was true. Apollo never missed. Mm. Like there are stories of Apollo and his twin sister Diana, yeah. who like they see a they see just like a small dot, like the equivalent of like a pixel on a on a on a TV screen. Uh, I see. Out in the distance bullseye right through the head like impeccable archers right okay like they are they are what modern day snipers strive to be gotcha okay and the arrows miss i see and so what happens is that sebastian sebastian's first martyrdom becomes an example of mm. how the god of the christians mm. has more power and is more powerful than the gods of the romans Ooh-wee. and so with that like he makes him impotent he makes apollo impotent I see. god emasculates apollo mm. and so like it's just it's intense um wow so like really cool and so then he survives he goes to the king and so the king like because arrows are a very like it's the equivalent of a firing squad right. it's, a, it's the ancient equivalent of a firing squad and, you know firing squads are very clean very like i mean the after effects are messy but like right nobody nobody has blood on their hands because nobody knows who dealt the killing blow right right um but so diocletian's original edict doesn't work and so he has to resort to having him beaten. And so he re- and so Sebastian's death makes the Roman religion shows the Roman religion's pomp and circumstance, the Roman religion's formality and elegance mm. makes the Roman religion a religion of savages and a religion of those that those that take and destroy and are brutal and brutalize the other. Ugh. Wow. That I that that's fascinating. Um, I think this is gonna be my last thing. Um, I'm gonna go out, Mason, with my dearest Hildegard. Okay, I'm gonna go with one more saint after you because I gotta talk about my girl Agnes. Okay, well, if, she's kind of my favorite saint ever. Okay, well, if you're gonna do that, I'll I'll talk about my other one too then. Um, you don't have to, I promise. But like, I, I got to talk about Agnes. I got to, I got to show her the respect she deserves. <laughs> well, then I'll use my other saint that starts with an A that you just so dearly love. Um. So I love, love, Hildegard. Um, Hildegard, I loosely wrote my freshman paper off of, but I wrote my paper off of um a cult of kind of women she offhandedly like inspired um the Hildegard gets her start we're gonna say once again close to to 98 and she does it all she composes she writes she's a nun she's one of the earliest like midwives of her century um she starts doing 
doing a lot of medicinal writings that lay the foundation for um, midwifery during her time. Um, she also is a saint that kind of bucks a system. There's a lot of like un- little like tidbits about her story that most people don't pick up on. Um, she is one of the few women in sainthood who was allowed to journal her visions of Christ by the Pope. Like the Pope himself says that she has to journal the visions that she sees, which will later become a thing called Scibias. Um, And so I find that very fascinating. Um, The other thing, Mason, is she pulled a petty move. Did you know this? She's one of the pettiest. Hildegard was in an abbot and didn't like the abbot. Matter of fact, had like let all of these nuns and was like, we need a bigger abbot. Like we need a bigger place to be. Um, and the Pope at the point was like, no, you don't. Pope and the bishop was no. She's like, well, I will take my ladies. She basically was like, I'm not mother superior, but I will be mother superior. And like started her own abbot, which was kind of unheard of at that point. Um, but she, she did a lot. Um, Hildegard started writing music for the church, which was also unheard of. Um, women did not write music for the church. Men wrote music for the church. So like that was new. Um, the other thing that was really new is she started with, when these visions began to happen, she was allowed to journal them and then like the pope would read them so like imagine being a person who's like having this like intimate moment with the lord only for everyone else and their mother being able to read it like it it wasn't hers i think that's like i think that's something to be said that like these saints give up something in, in regard you know they they give up something um they they like they 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 peer back. <laughs> they allow us to peer into the relationship that they have with God, which I think is really beautiful. The other thing about our dear, our dear um, Hildegard is Mason. She did not become a saint until ten years ago. She was not canonized until two thousand twelve. She before was, that she was considered a what is the term? Um, uh. Oh, um, not a consecrated version. Um, I don't know. It's going to. It's going. It's. It's going to come back to me. But no, she went through four chances of canonization. Beatification. 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 There Thank you, Google. Uh, she was before tries before she became one. Um, and here's another thing. She contributed to her own hagiography. So whenever she would have these visions, she would draw them and which contributed to the art of the church. Um, so Hildegard's just kind of known for like, she is the baddies of the saints. If I dare, if I dare say so myself, like, um, but I think my favorite part of Hildegard is Cura et Cure and Physica. Did you have to read Physica? Yes. 
I loved Physica. It was interesting. So Hildegard spends a lot of time talking about how children come into this earth. Um, and I'm saying that because that is the term, the way that she would explain it, like how life comes to be. Um, and she had some very preposterous ideas about how life came to be. Um, was she on the right path? Yes and no. Um, that's the best way of saying like, yes and no. Like there are some things that she clearly got right and some things she clearly got wrong. But I think what is most notable is Hildegard is one of the few female saints that had a cult that was actually accepted into the Catholic Church. I don't know if you knew this. Uh, There's these women who were following Hildegard, and the Catholic Church was like, you can come along because she was actually right, which is very rare. Um, And she's also named as being a doctor of the church. Also rare, I think the only other female saint that joins her is Catherine of Siena in being a doctor of the church. I think they're like, they go one and two, if I remember correctly. Um, so she writes so many beautiful things um, during her lifetime. And so much of her medicine we still refer to today and so she is known as one of the first like mystic healers as well so that's why i do dearly love hildegard um and she's one of the few people that start putting faith and health together not that it had been put together before but she's kind of on the front lines of that so you go ahead and give agnes her flowers yes So St. Agnes is probably one of the coolest saints um, who also endured some of the worst stuff. Yes. So trigger warning, this will be the part where we talk about sexual violence and coercion. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I mean, there's there's no other way to put it. So St. Agnes is born about 294 A.D., Yes. 292 AD, somewhere in there. Dies about 304 AD under Diocletian. Um, she's only, she's, so, she's about 13 years old when she's martyred. Yeah. Um, so Agnes is the daughter of a, of Roman nobility. Yeah. She is a noble Roman citizen who has many suitors. Like she's, she's incredibly beautiful. Oh, Wow. And she just kind of goes, nah, I'm good. And commits herself to perpetual virginity. She claims herself to be a bride of Christ. Oh, And so she keeps her chastity. So she is actually in the canon of the mass. She is one of the named virginal saints. Oh, wow. Yes. Like, this is how important this girl is. Like, this young girl is one of the most important saints in Catholic history. Like, she's a big shot. She is. Um, and so Agnes, you know, says, no, I'm good. Nah. Okay. And it makes one guy mad. And so he reports her to the authorities for being a Christian. And so she is brought before this prefect. And this okay. prefect, um, it's a rigged trial. Okay. Obviously. Rigged trial. It's a rigged trial. Um, I mean, she's 
she's guilty. Like he asks her, are you going to repent? And uh, there's a lot of different ways that this story goes, but he's like, are you going to recount your faith? And she goes, no. Mm. She goes, I'm not going to give up my faith. Like I am not going to deny Christ. Mm. She's tortured. She's beaten. And she goes, no, I'm not going to be. Mm. So the prefect orders her to be stripped down naked and paraded through the streets. Wow. Um, this is a 13-year-old girl. Wow. Who is being just paraded, like shamed, <laughs> publicly humiliated. And so some legend says that her hair magically grew, or like supernaturally grew to cover, to cover her nakedness. Mm. Um, others say that like, but like there's also there's also that it didn't grow but like the majority of people turned away to not gaze upon her because like they were all like "Ooh, this is this is rough right. even even pagans were like this is not okay and so there's a group of men who continue to look at her and wow. the legend says that she struck that they're struck blind the men who gazed upon her nude form were struck blind wow um the story also goes, so she's brought to the front of a whorehouse to a brothel. And so she's thrown in front of this brothel. Yeah. Like, so she's, she's being called, she's being called dirty. She's being called right. unpure, um, common. Mm. And the son of the prefect attempts to rape her. And he no more than, and he no more than touches her her body like doesn't touch doesn't like he just he touches like uh, i think it's her shoulder or her arm and he's struck dead immediately and so all the guys kind of back off they're like oh 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 wow you know they're terrified right agnes prays for him to be revived no the man who just tried to assault her agnes prays for his revival and god does it wow and so she's brought back to the temple because the courts were done in the Temple of Minerva. Right. Um, who is the goddess of justice mm-hmm. in Roman religion. Yep. And the prefect goes, I can't. Like, I, I, I cannot persecute this woman. I cannot. And he recuses himself. He's like, I, hands up. I'm not touching it. Wow. Because uh, he's like, she just brought my son back to life. Like, I can't go on and kill the girl, you know? Right. It's like, gotta admire the, gotta admire the gumption of like, oh, maybe I messed up. <sighs> So she's brought before this new judge and she's asked again, do you recount, do you like, are you going to deny Christ? And she goes, no. So she's put upon a pyre and she's to be burnt at the stake and the wood won't light. The fire won't go, won't start. And according to one legend, um, cause one legend says that the fire just won't start at all. Um, like, and I like to imagine like they're pouring like the equivalent, the ancient equivalent of gasoline, like trying to like get it to start and it's just not going. Another one says that the fire started, but it wouldn't touch her mm. and the heat, the heat didn't touch her. Mm. And so not a hair on her body was singed. Daniel-like. And so, yes, very Daniel-like. And so she ends up getting, being, being, um, having a sword stuck through her throat. And so that's how she dies. She's di- she dies by like pseudo decapitations, throat slicing, um, very graphic, but like, cause like nothing else is killing her. Oh my goodness. And so Agnes gets this really cool double death. Oh wow. She dies both figuratively mm. 
and liter and literally and then actually dies. So a couple of really cool things about Agnes's story. And I say cool, like yeah. it's awful that this happened to her, but like cool in the sense of like literature, like, oh, like Yeah. Like you're really you're like if anybody gave a middle finger to the Romans, it's Agnes. Yeah. Um and so what Agnes does is Agnes is brought to the temples of pa of Pallas Athena. Mm -hmm. She is brought to the temple of Minerva, yeah. who is a goddess of justice, who's a virgin goddess. Mm. She's a virgin goddess. Mm. And so we've all heard the story of Medusa. Yes. Now, before you Greek files, I don't know what the proper term is, but before you Greek lovers get on to me, I know that in the earliest Greek text, Medusa is a gorgon. She's never a human. That's very true. I understand that. However, a contemporary of Agnes's, of, or actually before Agnes, mm -hmm. Ovid does the Metamorphoses. And yes, Ovid had a political agenda, but also that is the story that would have been very commonly read. That's true. That would have been very common in the mind. So when I say so when I say Medusa was a human woman who is transformed to a gorgon, I know it's not in the Greek, but it's in the Roman myth, and that's what, and we're dealing with Roman gods. Mm. And so Medusa, so Agnes becomes a Medusa figure. Yep. Where Agnes cannot be gazed upon by a man, mm -hmm. or they are struck blind. Whereas Medusa, if a man gazes upon her, she's they're turned to stone. Right. And Medusa is a victim of, in the Roman myth, is a victim of rape. Mm -hmm. She's raped by the god Neptune. In the temple of Minerva. Mm -hmm. And so Minerva becomes a becomes a goddess who is a virgin, but who delights in the torture and the punishment of sexual assault victims. Mm. And who becomes an abuser in of herself. Mm. And so Agnes's death show makes Minerva into this evil, this evil goddess. This evil being that we should not worship. Mm. And so, like, there's beauty in that. Right. In that, even in her death and in her suffering, God is God is redeeming her. God is protecting her. Because, mm. like, she's she she dies a virgin. She dies not she dies not having been, not having been assaulted. Wow. So very like very powerful imagery. And what it ends up doing is it ends up completely like making the Roman gods into these beings that are malevolent and hateful mm -hmm. and wish nothing but evil on the world. It I makes them demonic. We see this with Sebastian. We see this with Agnes. Um, we see this with actually a lot of saints from this time. A lot of them have very real characterizations that mix in with Roman mythology. And so I think that it was done on purpose by these early Christians. Mm. I think that these early Christians made these parallels and these connections because like, this is what's common. I mean, this is the equivalent of, this is the equivalent of us calling somebody, calling somebody a Bill Clinton and somebody else a Monica Lewinsky. Like if we said, if you say it's a Monica Lewinsky situation, we all know what's going right. on. Right. Like this is like, this is a pop culture reference. Wow. Um, but I don't think that it's, I don't think it's false either. I think that it is true. I think that it's true because that's the story that's been told and that's the tradition. And it makes her death 
which is senseless and brutal and undeserved, have meaning and have have redemption. Mm. And it makes it to where she's not just a victim, but she is somebody who dies for a cause that she believes in. Mm. And what's even more interesting, her age, she's 13, about the same age that Mary, the mother of God, yeah. would have been yeah. when Jesus was born. Yeah. And so she becomes not only, she's not only a Christ figure and being mar- and being martyred, because as we established, all saints who experienced martyrdom, right. all martyrs Look like- are have the reflection of Christ, Christ and they take part in the suffering of Christ. Yes. Like it is believed that like at the moment of their death, they are like, they feel the pain of the cross with oh, them. Wow. Just as Christ, just as Christ feels the pain of their martyrdom. Like hope, it's like super like time magic stuff. Like it's whack. Okay. But like, it's like, it is this beautiful thing of like, you are, you are closer with Christ than other people are able to be mm-hmm. right now because you are experiencing what he experienced. Oh, okay. But not only that, but then she gets to be, she also gets to be the bride of Christ. And she also becomes, so she she becomes put, like she becomes a mirror of Christ. She becomes a bride of Christ and she becomes a mirror of the mother of Christ, who is the highest of the saints. Ah, I see where we're going here. And so she becomes this incredibly important figure that we don't talk about enough. Wow. That was was meaningful. I was going to talk about Augustine. But Augustine doesn't do anything compared to that, so I'm just gonna let it end here. And let Agnes. So that's why that's why Agnes is is like probably my favorite saint. I think Agnes is is pushing up in the line for me now. Um, also, I kind of love the fact that she's a woman who's young because it turns the entirety of like the patriarchal culture of the time at, on its head. It does. Because older men have more worth than younger men, and younger men have more worth than older women, and older women have more worth than, than younger women, and so it's a young woman. Mm-hmm. who has not even who has not even laid with another man mm-hmm. who like has no experience like, so is naive who is who has no experience in the world quote unquote yeah like we all know that's not true but like right who, who is pure time. and untouched by the world who makes the greatest sacrifice mm-hmm. it's the innocent lamb who dies for her fellow man i see i see and so funny enough, one of her symbols is a lamb. Ah. I, I, this is, and this, this friends is why we should listen. Like, this is why we should listen because I don't know. I feel encouraged. Like I, I think as we close, let's live a life worth living where people can say, man, I was encouraged by her faith. Or, man, I was super encouraged by the legacy of faith that they left. And not always that they're going to have some great, cool, wild story, but the fact that that man, like, she had the opportunity to live a life that looked like the very person who gave birth to the Savior. Not only that, but I think, too, like, her patronage. Mm -hmm. She's the patron of young girls. Yes. And she's also the patron of sexual assault victims. That alone. That alone. And so, like, you know, like, I think that we look back and we look at these people who do amazing things and, like, we look at them and say, like, they did so much good for those people. But not only that, but somebody to be a patron saint. Yes. That means that they had a connection with that. And that means that the people who are, who they patron over can look up to them Mm. and can relate to them. 
And I think any victim, any survivor mm-hmm. of abuse mm. can look at that and go and see and see the goodness of God there. Yes. And can see and can see an encouragement in the faith and see and see somebody who was also victimized but is still mm. considered good and clean and holy mm. and loved by God. Mm. And I think that's the beauty of it for me is that when we start looking at the saints as well, we get to see the inclusivity of God. Ooh. And not that we don't see it in the Bible, because we see it in the Bible. Yes. But we also get to see unlikely people turned into saints. Mm. And we get to see how inclusive God continues to be. We see normal people just just choose to like follow Jesus with their whole life. Like their whole yeah. life. One was a simple preacher. One was a, one was just a guy who served his, who served his nation and paid the price for it. One was just a young girl who was, who just wasn't interested in boys, like wasn't interested in anybody, was just like, nah, Jesus is enough. Wow. Nathan, I'm going to give you the last word on this. What do you want to say to our listeners? Um, I want to say thank you. Um, you know, it's, I know that this kind of got heavy towards the end, but like, I've been smiling the entire time I've talked about this because it is like, not that it's not, not that the things that have happened aren't horrible, but the fact that there is redemption mm. and these people did it with joy. Mm-hmm. Like part of, part of hagiography is that, is that their pain, even in their torture, they feel no pain. Mm. Like. It talks about like the brutal the brutality of Agnes's torture. Mm-hmm. And even in that, Agnes feels no pain in it. Mm. Like she's unfazed. And that's why that's why the prefect strips her and walks her through the streets because the torture isn't doing anything. Mm. And so like in our worst times when we should be feeling the worst, God is there to take away our pain. Mm. And so listen, I know that hearing the word saint is a really scary word for us because it has a lot of baggage. I used to be the same way. I used to be like, I used to be one of those that's like, Catholics aren't really Christians. They just worship saints. Like they're just like, they worship saints as God. Like, and I don't believe that anymore. I can see why people think that. And I can empathize with why people think that. But I think that the beauty of looking at saints is that we are looking at people who we want who we want to, we aspire to be like, because we see fruit. Mm. Just like how we look at Daniel and see somebody who had faith and was thrown into a fire and the fire didn't touch him. Just like we see with just like we see with John who was martyred several times and continued to serve his Lord. Just like Mary who watched her son die and still served him. Mm-hmm. Like we look at these people because they were human and they were flawed people but they are still saints. Like the Bible uses the term saint. In fact, we are called saints more than we're called sinners. I I was going to say what you have the last, the last word, but I don't know why this, this dropped. I, I feel compelled to say this. Your identity was a sinner, but you're now a saint. Like Absolutely. That, that was your identity, but you have a new identity in Christ Jesus. Those who belong to him have been made, what scripture says, co-heirs with Christ. 
that means that you reign with Jesus and that your identity is no longer your sin, that you have been sanctified in an ever-going process called sanctification, that you are being made more into his likeness day by day through the power of the Holy Spirit. So thank you so much. Thank you so much thank you guys. for picking this topic and just like, blowing our ever-loving minds because Mason can tell you my eyes have been like <laughs> bewildered this entire podcast where I go what wait a minute I didn't know that um and so thank you thank you thank you thank you um we hope you enjoy yeah thank you guys so much have a great day